powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now in the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, it's Seattle Times reporter Adam Jude. Adam, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys? Uh, fantastic. Obviously, Cactus League play starts tomorrow. First game. We're all very excited for this to get underway. It feels like the start of the season right around the corner. I'm going to start, though, with some injury news from your colleague, Ryan Divish, who said that Matt Brash uh, is going to be shut down, it looks like. I'm starting with this because we just saw this. Is this something that fans should be concerned about? Is it too early to tell? Yeah, it is a little too early to tell, but um, you never know with pitchers, right? There's bound to be uh, some of these every year, um, and in spring training is a good time, I suppose. If it's going to happen, it's a good time for it to happen. Um, it's early. They obviously can, can monitor him closely. They'll shut him down here, uh, I think, for a few days to start and then uh, have him pick up a ball here probably early next week just to see how he's feeling. Early indications are it's nothing major. Um, just came in. He might have come in a little too hot last week. Excited to throw his first real bullpen and probably overdid it a little bit. So I don't think uh, there's any red flags in particular. But again, when we're talking about a guy that throws 100 miles per hour with all his ridiculous spin, um, obviously it's something you want to monitor and be cautious with. But uh, for now, I think they're just playing it safe. Adam, another guy in that bullpen who a lot is expected of that's uh, had his as it's had a slow start to the spring, it's Gregory Santos. Any latest on what his throwing program's looking like after he was shut down last week? Yeah, I think a similar boat now is Brash. Again, it's February still. They, they're going to be really conservative. Um, you know, he ended the year with the White Sox um, on the injured list, too. Had just a minor uh, forearm tendon, uh, tendon thing, too. So, again, you're, you new acquisition. He's a 24-year-old kid. Matt Brash is now 25. Um, you know, big futures for both of those guys. So they're just taking every uh, every precaution at this point in the spring. I don't think either of them are overly serious, but uh, I'm with you. Santos is one of those guys on my list that I, I was kind of most curious to see down here in spring training. And I haven't seen him yet, and, and I think they'll probably wait going to next week and, and slowly ramp him up. You know, Adam, I was freezing this morning uh, in Seattle, getting into my car and hearing like the birds <laughs> chirping in the background while you're in. You sound like you're in a sunny Disney movie. How's the weather out there? It kind of feels like it sometimes. Yeah, no, it's uh, obviously no complaints here. I, I just got down here a couple of days ago. I left, uh, you know, my flight was taken off and the, you know, the rain's uh, dragging across the, the window there right. in the plane. I'm like, I'm not going to, not going to miss this for, for a week or so. And so, um, yeah, no complaints. It's, it's been great down here, you know, mid seventies, and uh, I don't, I don't want to uh, rub it in too much, but it's, but it's pretty, pretty darn nice. How's uh, do you, do you got a fresh pair of see-through pants like all the players do? Is that... <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that's been like the main storyline of spring training. It's obviously not just the Mariners, but uh, yeah, you know, I was joking with uh, Cal Raleigh this morning. I, I, I don't think he's ever had uh, people all over social media, you know, zooming in on his crotch as much as they have. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, not something I don't think he expected in spring training here, too. So, look, it's obviously uh, not ideal. Uh, players are not happy. A lot of them aren't going to you know, come out publicly and say it. It doesn't do them much good. Uh, it is what it is at this point, but obviously the players' union has gotten involved. Do you think MLB, the commissioner's office, would get involved or would have to get involved here very soon to try to try to figure this out? Because from my vantage point and what you see on social media, the, the pictures and some of the reaction you have heard, on the record from players is it's 
it's not good at all. Oh, so uh, I don't know what, what's going to happen, but Nike and Fanatics, they got to figure it out, um, particularly with the pants. I mean, I just I just don't see how any professional ball player can reasonably be expected to wear those. Uh, 162 games and out in public and on national TV, it just doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't jive. So yeah. we'll see what happens there over the next couple of weeks. On national TV, pouring down rain, freezing cold temperatures, uh-huh. March in Seattle. Uh-huh. I don't think so. Um, no, no. Hey, Scott Service called this group of players the hungriest team that he's had in spring training. Why do you think he said that? And do you sense that? Yeah, it's um, I do actually, and you can just kind of see it by the way they're carrying themselves and. Um, again, some of the conversations, but it's also some things they're not saying, right? They're, they know they have a good team right now, but they're not, they don't need to boast about that, right? It's, it's February. They need to get the work in and they need to go prove it once, once the season starts and it's a long season and, and it's a grind and you got to survive the injuries and the ups and downs and all that. But the way last season ended, we keep hearing Scott Service talk about it, but, you know, to come up, um, you know, one game short to have the rug pulled out from under you in September the way they did. And then to see it, the two teams, your two biggest, two biggest rivals, really, the, the Rangers and, and Houston kind of pull away in that last weekend and earn those last two playoff spots. And then for those two teams, they go deep in the postseason, the Rangers to win the whole thing. Uh, I know J.P. Crawford has commented that, you know, he, is, he was mad. You know, he did not want to see those teams. And, and I think that just kind of rubbed salt into the wounds for, for the Mariners, too. And so, I get the sense that it was a very focused, very determined offseason for just about all these guys. And first and foremost, you know, just hearing and talking to Julio, you could just see it, right? Um, we've heard about some of the crazy workout stuff that, that he does with his trainer down in Florida. And, you know, I, I've kind of made the comparison, Julio Rodriguez, to, to DK Metcalf over the years. Like, DK, you know, he has a tattoo across his abdomen that says one of one, right? And I don't think anyone would dispute that. DK is is absolutely one of a kind. Uh, he's a he's a physical uh, specimen, but Julio is right there. Very similar size, structure. Like Julio could absolutely be a star wide receiver. I feel like in the NFL right now too. And so, and he showed up in even again everyone does, but showed up even better shape here in spring training. Um, he's tweaked his his um, his approach a little bit, and they're going to have an interesting approach with their new offensive coordinator Brant Brown this year too. Uh, they're going to be they're, they're practicing a little bit different way. So um, I do sense that this is just a very motivated, uh, very determined team. Um, the, the longer I'm around these guys, it's easier to fall into this trap. But um, I, I think this is a, obviously a much improved lineup. I think this pitching staff has a chance again to be the best in baseball. And I think they've got all the ingredients uh, to, to really do some damages here. You talk about guys arriving in the best shape of their life. That's what everybody does in, in spring training. But Ty France, just looking at the pictures and videos, it looks like that may be true with him. What's what is what have you viewed uh, of the changes that he's made since the end of last season coming into this one? Because it feels like there is a ton of pressure on him to kind of regain that old form that made him such a dangerous bat in the lineup. Yeah, he's going to be one of the more fascinating guys to follow here, not only in spring training, but the early part of the season, right? Um, uh, all indications are, and we've seen the videos online, We now we see him show up. Uh, he did reshape his body. Um, it seems like he has a little bit different mindset, too. You know, he's going to turn 30 years old this year, and um, I don't know, I, I guess I would take a little uh, exception to, to the word pressure for him, too, because I almost feel like they took pressure off him, right, um, with this lineup now, like, they don't need him to bat third like like he did a lot the last couple of years. He's going to bat seven, uh, maybe eight. You know, you, who knows? Six, seven, eight. Like they've got some dudes now in this lineup with some stump 
that are professional hitters that have experience. They don't need uh, Ty France to carry this lineup like he's he's been asked to do at times in the past. Um, that said, this team has had a much different look. This lineup is much more dangerous if Ty France can return to form from a couple years ago in the first half of 2022 when he was an all-star. Um, it's in there. And he is an elite contact hitter. Um, he's been driving the ball in batting practice here. That's the one guy, obviously, we're, we're all keeping a close eye on. He's saying the right things. He put in the work in the offseason. Obviously, now he has to go out there and do it when the, when the lights are on and everything. But I think he's given himself every chance to have a bounce back, and it seems like he has the right attitude and the right approach right now. I agree that it's almost like having the down year has taken some of that pressure off, moving him further back uh, in in the order also helps. Um, you mentioned, you know, hey, that pressure is kind of off of Ty a little bit now that he's batting, you know, sixth, seventh, uh, eighth or whatever. But there's still pressure there in the cleanup spots. So who's the pressure on now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think maybe if you're Scott Service, that's a good problem to have because they – he has some different options now. He likes the flexibility um, that he's going to have, uh, be able to mix and match depending on who the starting pitcher they're facing that that particular night. So yeah, right now I think you know Mitch Garver is going to be um, going to be inserted there in the cleanup spot. We'll see Cal Raleigh in there in the cleanup spot, probably against some tough right-handers from time to time. You know, he gives you that switch hit tool, and we know Cal Raleigh has some pop. But um, yeah, I heard from some people today that Mitch Garver has fit in perfectly here with this roster, this clubhouse. Um, so far, he's he's been um, uh, he's been probably the best addition just in terms of like again the experience. He's 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 got the mentality of a catcher, so he knows how to talk to pitchers, knows how to work with the with the pitchers. But um, he just won a World Series too, so he can kind of brings that gravitas. And um, I think Jorge Polanco is right there too, and obviously he's going to be. They need him to be that impactful bat, hitting third behind Julio Rodriguez, but. I'd say right now, Mitch Garver, uh, he looks good, and uh, all indications are he's been a, been a great fit inside the clubhouse, too. Adam, an underrated move made today was uh, Brian Anderson, veteran third baseman, played for the Marlins for a number of years, played last year with the Brewers. Uh, he got a minor league invite to camp, and he's been a name that I think has been involved in trade rumors with the Mariners in the past, never came to fruition, but he's there right now. What does that say about Luis Urias's availability going forward with the Mariners bringing in a veteran guy like this uh, at the start of camp? Yeah, I think the, um, you're connecting the dots there, and I think that's probably the logical way to go. You know, Luis Urias uh, hasn't been able to do much so far in camp, and again, it's still February. No one's panicking, but uh, yeah, you 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 want to see what your options are, and and if you've got another one to kind of plug in and just to see what he can do, see what his bat looks like, see if he can, see if he can um, uh, pick him there at third base. Um, why not? So uh, it's kind of a low risk move bringing in Brian Anderson, a guy yet as you said has been on the Mariners' radar in the past a little bit uh, too because they like that versatility. He's played a lot of outfield, but he can play third base as well. So yeah, right now Josh Rojas has been the main guy there at that third base and. Um, you know, kind of a, a bit of a transition for him. We saw him at second base, obviously, at the end of last season. But um, he's played about uh, equal number of games, innings, uh, second base, third base throughout his career with, with the Diamondbacks before the, the trade last summer. And um, we'll see. I think they're, they're confident that Rojas can be a serviceable player there, if not more than that. Um, and we'll see. Again, the plan was to have a platoon there. Luis Arias just hasn't been available so far. It doesn't mean they've, they've given up on him or anything. They guaranteed him almost $5 million this year. So Luis Arias is, is still in the plans for sure. But 
um, it's a low-risk move to bring in someone like that and, and see what he's got left in his bat, and, and maybe he'll surprise him. You posted a video uh, from a beautiful Peoria complex. Uh, Bryce Miller against Mitch Haniger looks like some BP. Uh, how, how's Mitch been? How's he feel about being back in Seattle? Have you had a chance to talk to him much? I haven't personally, but I know a bunch of the other folks here yeah. have. And, and um, uh, again, Mitch is like the consummate professional, um, one of the most respected guys here over the last decade in this clubhouse. Um, and largely just because he does it by example, his work ethic is second to none. Everyone knows he puts in the work. Uh, again, you look at his, his history, when he's healthy, he's productive. And obviously that's the big, that's the big caveat with not only Mitch Haniger, but a, a lot of these newcomers on this team, if, if they can stay healthy, they're going to have a good season. They're going to have a good lineup. They're going to have a good offense. Um, they need to keep them healthy. And again, they don't expect Mitch Haniger to come in and play right field and start 150 games this year. They don't expect him to have 600 plate appearances. That's just not realistic for where he's been, the injury history he has, and being a 33-year-old now. Um, that said, you know, I think they, they love the leadership in there. That was one thing. Um, we had talked about it kind of quietly and, and, and uh, sometimes outwardly a little bit, but they were young last year. They, they didn't have Kyle Seeger. They didn't have Mitch Haniger. You know, J.P. Crawford ha- emerged. Um, Cal Raleigh emerged as, as sort of uh, leaders in that clubhouse too. But to have a guy like Mitch Haniger come back and, and be able to just kind of, again, and, and a Mitch Garver as well. So we're leading by example, um, guys that have been through it, uh, know what it takes to survive a full season. I think that's really invaluable for this clubhouse. And um, again, not a ton of pressure on Mitch, Mitch Hanniger either. Go out there and mm-hmm. play a good, a solid right field. You know, he'll hit toward the bottom of the lineup. If his bat's hot, he'll move up. But if not, you know, they're, they're not asking him to do a ton. Um, and if he plays a hundred games in right field, I think they'll be absolutely happy with that. They've got some options behind him to mix and match there in right field as well. Uh, last one for me, Adam, have, have you heard anything on, on who we might get to see tomorrow in, in the Cactus League opener? I know the start of spring training, you you rarely see a, a full lineup of what it might look like on yeah. opening day. Good question. No, I haven't quite gotten that far. Um, we'll talk to service in the morning. But um, I would think, you know, they've been doing a lot more ramping up their um, live at live at bats, live appearances here the last, last few days. So I think we probably see quite a few of the regulars uh, get at least one about it, right? They want to slowly kind of ramp it up. But um, – no, you got to hit the ground running at some point, so might as well get out there early. And um, I think they're rare and they're ready to go. And so I'm, I certainly expect to see uh, at least a handful of the regulars out there in their first game tomorrow. Adam's got some videos up and coverage from spring training. Make sure you're following him on x.com at a underscore Jude. Obviously, make sure you're reading Adam's coverage, too, at seattletimes.com. Thanks so much, Adam. We appreciate it. Thanks, appreciate Adam. It. Appreciate you guys. Take care. See ya. I felt like Jalen Wells getting that last great question in right Bro, before the buzzer. I, so I think by now there's a good chunk of regular <laughs> that might be listeners. The latest Shout out great to the question. regulars yeah. who know that first of all, there's a feud. I need to backtrack even further. There is a feud between us and Wyman and Bob yeah. on as to who started the good question countdown first. And it started when Jake was still here. And uh-huh. I am convinced, absolutely convinced that it started with me, you, and Jake. That's right. Competing with who got a good question yeah. or not. And we would go back and forth in interviews. And the point is to be really prepared for interviews, but it's also just, it makes it kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and then Wyman and Bob started doing it. And I think maybe them and Lefko are under, they're, they're under the um, bad impression 
that it's they like, seem to have started it. It's like when you say a joke and it gets a couple laughs and then your louder friend says the joke and it gets more laughs. That's unfortunately what happened. Yeah. And, and you like, know what okay. else is unfortunate? That they have John Morosi, the kindest human <laughs> on the planet, who no matter what you ask. He is throwing good questions out. Dude, you could be like, John, what's your favorite color? Great question, Stacey. I'm so uh, glad you asked that. And I appreciate you being here today. Like, we're calling the him stat patterns guy. Is what yeah, we're calling That's exactly him. what I'm yeah. saying. I'm em- saying there's a little bit of a performance-enhancing drug. Happening, uh, but yeah, it's um. Anytime you get a good question, it's just a moment of bragging. And yeah. I thought that I really got away with just just having the one there, but nah, you weren't. That was your, that was your four point play, yeah, bro. That I was, was like, this, man, putting this one up. Hope it goes in. Yeah, well, if your Wildcats didn't get a win, I guess you wow. did here. Wow. Let's get to four down territory. Ouch. This is Four Down Territory, going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Matt, can you please ask <laughs> Stacy the following first down? First down. <laughs> you made Matt do it. I didn't have it ready. This isn't a segment I'm supposed to have to talk. Hey, hey, Stacy, first down. What do you make the Seahawks coaching staff staying home for the NFL Combine? Pretty crazy, right? Well, uh, it, it is, I understand, kind of weird to hear that from John Schneider yesterday during the John Schneider show, but I'm not especially concerned for the following reasons. One, I'm convinced this is kind of a one-season thing. It's a brand-new coaching staff, and everyone's new. Head coach, coordinators, assistant coaches, they've got to lay down the groundwork for what should be a really competitive season. And that takes some time, and it starts way earlier than, than you think. So, yeah, I don't expect them to be missing it next year. Secondly, the dynamic has changed a bit. Pete went because Pete had a say in personnel and and obviously had a lot of control. McDonald doesn't in the same way. It's not that he doesn't have input. I mean, it's great to have McDonald with such recent ties to Michigan and and all these other guys they have with college ties. It's great to have that insight, but uh, John also has a group of scouts of his own and a front office of his own to make some really important decisions here. Thirdly, McDonald is still going to get a chance to talk to these top prospects. Don't forget about top 30 visits. A lot of the guys that they're going to when they see them at the combine, they already know this guy's on our board. This guy's who we're considering at 16. This guy's who we would consider in the second round. And even though John's going to see them uh, coming up next week, McDonald and them will still get a chance to talk to them once those visits start. Second down. Are, you're still. Oh my God, Matt! You, Matt would, what's for no, second down? For God's <laughs> sake! The salary cap is great news for the Seahawks, on? but what does it mean for the rest of the league, Stacey? I have the most obvious takeaway. It means that every other team has more money. I know that's a very obvious way to look at it, but I say it for two reasons. I have lots of reasons here. Uh, one, the price for free agents will be affected. That's important. It's the start of free agency here coming up on March 13th. It impacts what guys on your own roster could be looking at, and it impacts the market for those positions. So Chris Jones looking at an even bigger contract potentially from Kansas City or whoever else might want to offer one. T. Higgins could have people competing for his services. What does that mean for the wide receiver market? All kinds of fun conversations. Also, a few teams just became very interesting. Very, very fascinating. Um, I don't have the Seahawks as one of these, but there are three teams in particular. They have the one, two, and three most cap space in the league. They, uh, Two of them have new coaches, new head coaches. And two of them have picks number one and picks number two. It's the Bears, Patriots, and Commanders. If I were to tell you guys, Thursday night, Bears, Commanders. I don't know how many of you guys are, like, super excited about it. But if you want to talk about offseason, if you want to talk about salary cap space and money to spend and pieces to work with and draft capital and new programs, 
these are some really fascinating teams in terms of what's going to happen over the next couple months. Third down. I'm fine now. You've re- Are now you sure? You've Are you done recovered? being pouty? Yeah. Are we yes. in a better place? <laughs> Where would you go if you were Kirk Cousins, who's set to become a free agent this March? It's funny you were turning over the questions to Matt, the same way that Arizona really struggled with some okay, of those turnovers. That... <laughs> that, that was a reach. It was a reach, and it was we a have, bad j- <laughs> We have 39 minutes left. Sorry. Do you want to do it by yourself? No. Where I would go if I was Kirk <laughs> Cousins. Um, it is tempting to try to stay in Minnesota. Obviously, you're familiar there. He's got a lot of kids. They're all in school. Uh, you've got a home there. You're familiar with the area. And you've got Justin Jefferson, who's one of the best young weapons in football. However, there are also great weapons in Atlanta and maybe a great head coach now, too. So you've got Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. They've all accounted for three top 10 picks for the Falcons over the last three seasons. But they don't have a veteran throwing to them. I mean, they don't have this exciting young quarterback, but they also could use a veteran who's been there before. I love the idea of Matt Ryan going to an offense with a ton of young weapons and being kind of like the old head. (laughs) You know, (laughs) being the guy that's like, not Matt Ryan, excuse me, uh, Kirk Cousins, being the guy that's been there before. Um, Kirk Cousins, and this is a shame, was having a career year before he got hurt. I know that the Vikings were having a disappointing start to the season. They were four and four, but that was in large part because of their defense. He was on fire and it is such a shame that that season was cut short. um, Not only for him in general, but in a career or excuse me, um, a contract season. Uh, Also, JB Long joined us when the Seahawks were still in the middle of their coaching search and talked about Raheem Morris, who's now the head coach out in Atlanta. Almost completely sold me on him. I was still team Mike McDonald. But the Seahawks hadn't hired him, and I thought he was still a long shot because Baltimore was still in the playoffs and I assumed would be going to the Super Bowl. Um, and and so I was kind of disappointed when Raheem was hired by the Falcons. And so I'm, I'm kind of rooting for him. Even though it's another NFC team, I'm, I'm rooting for, for that team from afar. Fourth down. Stacy, what's a first-round surprise you would love to see? A trade into the top five. I don't think it'll happen. I don't. It's the top three teams all need quarterbacks uh, with the the three being the ones I listed with the Bears, Commanders and Patriots in order. The next two teams don't need quarterbacks. The Arizona Cardinals at number four have Kyler Murray. They seem to be sticking with him. The Chargers have a new head coach who's taking over, um, you know, coaching up Justin Herbert. But they badly need weapons. I mean, if I'm the Chargers, I'm looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. potentially at number five. They have one of the oldest wide receiver groups in football. They want to give him weapons. Um, And the Cardinals obviously want to add to both sides of the ball. Uh, So... While I'd love to see a move, I don't know that it's going to happen. That being said, I have my eye on the Broncos at number 12, um, on the Vikings, maybe if they trade up in there, uh, you know, maybe on the Raiders, who I believe are at number 13. These teams are just close to enough and quarterback needy enough that maybe someone bumps up into the top 10, inching closer to five to try to take someone not named Caleb Williams or Drake May. All right, you guys. Uh, you are listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus, and I have a new mock draft that has a Seahawks trade in the first round. Don't go anywhere. Mm. 
Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus. Get your questions in, by the way, for what I need to know. It's coming your way in 15 minutes. Any question you have, we're wrapping up the week by answering them all. So get them in 866-979-3776. Before we get to that, though, I have a mock draft. This was filed this morning uh, on uh, NFL.com from NFL.com's Gennaro Felice. Uh, he, it's his first mock draft. And the first point- one ever? Well, no, Congrats no. I mean, one. It's, oh. it's the first edition. So this is absolutely subject to change. Uh, and this is also something where, like, a lot of folks who do mock drafts intentionally explore a million different options. So some of these are going to sound kind of wild, but I think it's fun. Uh, and I brought this one up in particular because it involves a Seahawks trade. Okay. I don't know how excited some of you are going to be about it. Always interested in a potential Seahawks But trade. I think this trade in particular is a possibility. Okay. I will start by saying the obvious, which is Caleb Williams, number one overall to the Chicago Bears. And in fact, all of the top five remain the same. But popping in in a trade, the Minnesota Vikings trade up to number seven, swapping with the Tennessee Titans. He has them picking J.J. McCarthy. This is the first reason I like this mock, because earlier this morning I was talking with Mike Salk on his show. He's kind of coming around to being like team. He's not like fully on board with drafting a quarterback, Mm -hmm. but he is getting more on board with the idea of J.J. McCarthy should he be drafted by Seattle. And so I kind of thought, man, this feeling that I have seeing J.J. McCarthy go is a little bit like I think I'd feel if I saw him go before 16, a little bit of like a, oh, you didn't even get the chance. And I was surprised by that feeling. It'd be kind of like Anthony Richardson last yeah. year, where a lot of Seahawks fans, I think, were talking themselves into Anthony Richardson, even though Richardson was, you know, he was a flawed quarterback mm-hmm. coming into the uh, NFL because he just didn't have a ton of experience at the college level. Um, but you could see the physical tools, like you could see the skill set. That was the most tantalizing thing about Anthony Richardson. And he didn't even fall to the Seahawks at number five, didn't even get a chance uh, to to dance to dance that dance. So could McCarthy be kind of this year's Anthony Richardson? I don't think McCarthy's physical tools are like as jaw dropping as Richardson's were. Like mm-hmm. Richardson, I don't know if you remember. I don't Stacey. know how many people's are though. After the combine, I thought there was a chance Richardson could have gone number one overall. I think some people were wondering. Because he left everybody just kind of in awe after that day. I don't think McCarthy's going to have that kind of performance mm-hmm. at the combine. Um, but I think he will be, I think he will impress teams for sure. I just wonder about the arm strength. I just wonder, you know, can he be the guy in an offense where a lot more is asked of him? Because sure. that Michigan offense this year was very, very run heavy, uh, more so than any NFL offense is. And if you're a quarterback, a starting quarterback in today's NFL, and you're not throwing for 4,000 yards, like you're you're behind the eight ball. Yeah. That's an offense that is not moving the ball as efficiently as it, as it should be. All right, so in this mock draft, J.J. McCarthy is off the board. Now, other quarterbacks are still available. Bo Nix, Michael Penix. Um, we round out to pick number 16. Here we are with the Seahawks pick and trade back. Oh. With the Houston Texans. Houston Texans swap up. They get an offensive lineman, J.C. Latham. And instead, the Seahawks move back to pick number 23 overall. I'll tell you their pick in just a second, and and we'll talk about how we'd feel about that. I think a projection that the Seahawks trade back is not wild at all. 
They don't have a yeah. second rounder. They're 16 and later, like mid round and later is this interesting spot where you might still have some first round grades, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if for Seattle, for, for John Schneider, it is really hard to be staring at the gap that exists between pick number 16 and the third round. Yeah. And he always used to talk about when a pick would come up and it was a player that they had traded for in their nameplate, they would put the player that they traded for to make it not hurt so much. Mm-hmm. I remember him saying that with Dwayne Brown yeah, yeah. when it was the second round pick that they gave Houston. Um, but like you said, pick 16 is kind of right on the edge of where first round grades start to taper off. Like you're, there is still talent to be had at pick number 16. And I think a lot more so than at the end of the first round where you're talking picks like 25 to 32. I think this Seahawks team needs as much top end talent as possible and if that means foregoing that second round pick to making a pick at, at pick number 16, I I think they should do it. I think they should do it because you're just not going to get that many opportunities uh, in the middle part of the first round if things are going well for you, which is where they hope to be. Like pick 16 in a perfect world is the lowest pick you make for a number of years. I agree. Um, minus, minus the... Uh... The schedule that would or the results that would go along with that, right? Um, so in this scenario, the Seahawks pick up, let's say, a second rounder in addition to swapping back. Here's who they take at 23, and why I'm not mad about this. At pick number 23, rather than 16, they take Texas defensive tackle Byron Murphy, a name that keeps coming up with the Seahawks. And I heard Brock mention him. I also heard them say 16 might be a little too high for him. That like mm-hmm. that he is, you know, one of the better options here, certainly fills an area of need for Seattle, gives them a really talented player, yeah. gives them a ton of size up front um, defensively. Uh, but that this makes more sense for where he's mocked. Yeah. Daniel Jeremiah, who was on with Brock and Salk earlier today had Byron Murphy going to the Seahawks at pick 16. Here was his reasoning for it. Byron Murphy's, uh, you know, he's, he's going to, you'll see him at the combine. He's probably going to run in the four eights at 305 pounds, a little bit shorter, but he is very dynamic. He's the best defensive tackle on tape in this, in this draft. So um, a really, really disruptive, strong, strong kid. So um, that's why I kind of looked on that side of the ball. They've got some young pieces I like on that defense, but just continuing to add uh, up front, I think would be a, uh, would be a nice fit. And then here's field Yates from a couple of weeks ago who also had Murphy going to Seattle at 16. Let's start with Byron Murphy. This team couldn't stop the run last year. Had an incredible last season with the University of Texas. The other defensive tackle in most people's eyes had five sacks, but also a real impact player against the run. There's multiple people, like not just those two, but you you mentioned Gennaro Felice of uh, NFL Network. He has Murphy going to the Seahawks a little bit later at 23. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a name that we should all be keeping an eye on because it just kind of seems like it's the consensus at this point. I agree. I'll throw in that the athletic doesn't have him mocked to Seattle, but they do have him at 19. So a little later, basically he's projected. He'll be around middle of the round. Mm -hmm. Maybe he falls to the Seahawks if they do trade back uh, into the early twenties, but that's, that's about where you're going to find him. So I like the idea of, 
you know, if you want him anyways, snatching up a second rounder in the process and still getting your guy, assuming he's a guy that they'd love to have. It's it's a fit that makes such perfect sense. Now, last year, I thought Jalen Carter was a fit that made perfect sense. The difference is there were character questions. Mm-hmm. There was a hu- there were huge off the field issues that were being sorted out that don't exist with with Byron Murphy. So that's very important yes. context when you're talking about why the Seahawks may not have selected him. Um, but I also recognize that they don't always do what you think they're going to do, and Correct. that certainly can apply to this Byron Murphy selection. Well, and this is also the first draft that John Schneider is doing it alone. It's mm-hmm. not. Pete Carroll and John Schneider in conjunction. Uh, it, it is all Schneider who is going to be the final say in all these decisions that get made. I wonder if there's going to be a departure, maybe philosophically in the draft, uh, that we just aren't used to seeing here. Because, you know, this is John's, what, 15th draft with the Seahawks, 14th draft with the Seahawks. All of them have been done under the watchful eyes of Pete Carroll. Not anymore. And this could be Schneider's time to be like all right this is me putting my stamp on things this is me saying like i am i am in charge now like this is how i'm going to build the team to my vision all right what i need to know coming your way in just a few minutes and we could use your questions any and all questions sports non-sports it doesn't matter text them to the mac and jacks text line 866-979-3776 that's next Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. It's What I Need to Know, brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, and Electric. Get your questions into the Mac and Jack's text line. Any questions, send it now. 866-979-3776. What I Need to Know. Per the MLB Jersey scandal. Inspired by, that is. Have you ever worn an outfit out in public and later realized it was Ooh. way more revealing than intended? Oh, and did oh, anyone oh. notice? Uh, I mean, or I've maybe worn like clothes something that, you can do your own interpretation. I've worn clothes where like you don't realize there's a tear in them, right? Until, or they're dirty. Yeah, and it's like, oh, why didn't anybody tell me that there was a giant tear in my coat or something yeah. like that? Uh, I don't tend to wear revealing things as is. I don't uh, either. Texture, so I'm. Well, it's accidentally revealing. Yeah, though. that's true. Accidentally revealing. Like I don't think players are intending no. to show their uh, boxers and briefs. Did you read that the Padres yesterday wore their pants from last year? Ooh, Instead it's already. A, I cannot. Twenty twenty four pants. When we had Adam Jude on, and he was like, "Yeah, I can't believe he can," but he's like, "I just, I can't believe this is the story that we're all talking about." I mean, I can because they're, it, it is a big deal. But like, what a random, yeah. random story. Like, this is going to be something where, uh, in five years, we're going to be like, "You guys remember when uh, MLB debuted this horrendous <laughs> see through <laughs> pants?" Mine actually, I do. Uh, I did on accident one time wear a shirt where I didn't realize it was sheer. Like I, uh-huh. I hadn't put it on and it didn't look sheer. It, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, it's dark lighting when you're leaving. Whatever. I'm in high school. I didn't realize this, mm-hmm. and it was a new shirt and I loved it. And I was so excited, and uh, I walked into a classroom and this older girl was there, and she said, "Oh, love your shirt. It's so modest." And I was like, Ooh. and I said, thank you. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it's like this long sleeve shirt. And then I didn't realize that she was making fun of me. But Dang. I still have that memory in my brain. I don't know why. Because I was so embarrassed. If we're talking out. about like clothing snafus. So I had a friend in high school whose uh, 
first language was not English. Mm-hmm. And he remember those seven up shirts that would say make seven. Yeah. And then on the back, yep. it would say, yeah, up yours. Uh-huh. Uh, he wore one of those to school thinking that it was just simply a seven up shirt. He liked the soda. <laughs> And then got sent to the principal's office. He's so yeah. He's like, why am I here? Yeah, I love well, Seven I, Up. I love Seven Up. Like, what? What's the deal? Yeah. Also, Poor who guy. loves Seven Up? Yeah, that's Sprite one of those sodas day. where what are you doing? that's one of those sodas where it's like, that's your favorite. Yeah, I guess it's not even spray. Is that even a Pepsi product? Like, get out of here. Seven Up. Uh, what I need to know: um, Would you let the Seahawks do a five-year hiatus, Ooh. no playing games whatsoever, any football operations, anything? If it meant they win a Super Bowl in the season that they return. Nah, son, because I get those game checks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the broadcast. I need that money. Uh, What I need to know, who's got better dad? Oh, bad jokes. Maybe they meant dad jokes. It could go either way. Curtis or Bump? I I mean. Curtis. I'm more partial to mine, yeah. Um, Bump does more dad things. Yeah. Uh, By our powers combined. You with your guys' powers combined, you are just <laughs> the super ultimate dad. dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> very unsettling. Soon we'll be asking you, Stacey, did you check the oil in your car? I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Kyle's asked me that before. He was like, "Hey, so uh, there was I a, saw d- your yeah, smoke, he was like, there's like smoking. some dripping yeah. coming out of the engine. I noticed when you pulled out of the parking spot. Like, there's lots of dad energy in yeah. this building. And mm-hmm. as someone with not dad energy, I'm the recipient of a lot of it. <laughs> like, did you share your location when you guys were going over the past? <laughs> That's right. You you're going over to Ellensburg this <laughs> this upcoming week. All of a sudden now, I'm a lot more nervous. I know. Dad, we being a dad changes you, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. What? Oh, uh, number is eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. What's the worst and best thing about working your time slot? Worst thing. I mean, we don't have to get up as early as the morning show does. I still get up around six every morning. Um. So maybe that. The best thing, though, is I still get to go home and, like, the sun is still up. Yeah. And I get to see my girls and we still get, like, a few hours together before bedtime. If you are not a morning person in any way and don't have young children, the afternoon drive, Wyman and Bob's time slot is the best one. Uh-huh. You don't get to roll in until noon, 1 p.m., um, but you aren't off until evening. 6, 6.30, Right. 7, I yeah. actually think... I love the midday time slot. Like it's, it's a, the closest thing to a typical nine to five minus staying until five. Yes. Yeah. With the sun being out when you leave, that is a big boost uh, to, because in the wintertime, okay. The worst thing though, in the wintertime, like the dead of winter Mm -hmm. is when we get here and it's dark and we leave when it's dark. Yeah. But that's for almost. That's like December. Yeah. Ah, that. Uh, what I need to know, I need to know if John Schneider was in favor of the Jamal Adams trade, LJ Collier, Malik McDowell. I mean, he was we'll in the he was in the front office when those moves were made. I mean, he said he co-signs on anyone in the building. Yeah. There are no Pete guys. There are no John guys. They're decisions made together. The thing that's interesting about all these trades is, or excuse me, not trades. The thing that's interesting about a few of these moves is you can see what made sense at the time. Mm. Like I remember when LJ Collier was drafted, out of, I think, TCU, it was like, wait, we got to look this guy up. Like, he wasn't necessarily projected to be a first-rounder. He was kind of surprised he was taken in the first round. Um, With Jamal Adams, 
everyone was excited when it happened. Yeah. And I can't knock a team for taking a big swing, even if they miss, if I'm going to critique another team, the Mariners, for not doing the same thing. Correct. And when the Jamal Adams trade was made, a large section of the Seahawks social media presence was like, oh, LOB is back, baby. Yeah. Because you had him and Quandre as your starting safeties. And then your starting corners were. Dun- is that one Dunbar? That was Quentin Dunbar. Oh! And then I think it was Shaquille Griffin on the We other were talking side. about it yeah. like it was going to be the best secondary in years. And. Uh, it wasn't. And uh, it Dunbar was not. Tried to steal an Xbox. <laughs> it was not. Via gunpoint. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the moves are always obviously bad in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And when they're made, you're thinking, oh, Malik McDowell, you know, he had some red flags, so he slipped, but they got this just supremely athletic player that was projected to go so much higher. What a steal. Like, it, again, I remember the narratives about all of these players because I covered mm-hmm. it and I was there and. Um, yeah, I think, and you can kind of flip it and you can say, well, he's the same guy who traded up for Tyler Lockett and, um, you know, who, you know, traded, uh, Russell Wilson. And, you know, you've been on the good side of some moves that were risks as well. Uh, let's see. Um, someone said, I hope you get over your cold. I have had a cold. I'm over it, but that lingering sound where you're like, is this how, like, I've literally thought, what if this is how I'll sound now? Probably. Don't do I'm going to contact in your nose and throat doctor and be like, put me back to normal. <laughs> I feel like I need to apologize for just my voice. Um, all right. Uh, let's see what I need to know. 206 says, best thing about the afternoon time slot is you get so much time off when the Mariners play. That's true. Oh, Wyman and Bob? <laughs> yes. There, there are weeks that go by where we probably don't even see them. We're like, I don't. I forgot what Lefko looks like. Yeah. <laughs> He's out there paddling around. You think they're still working here? Yeah. <laughs> hope, for the, hope their cards work. Uh, which reminds me, speaking of the Mariners, Cactus League play starts tomorrow. Let's go. Very exciting. Uh, you can hear play-by-play, obviously, on seattlesports.com. And by the way, here we are joking about them getting time off. We're going to have a short show Monday because you're going to yeah. hear Cactus League play during the day. I love day baseball. So you got some good games coming your way. For Curtis Rogers, Matt Nelson, I'm Stacy Ross. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.